Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Turn there in your Bibles or flip there on your phones if you would. If you have a paper Bible, Malachi, it's a little tougher to find, but it's the last book of the Old Testament. This is it. It's the Italian prophet Malachi, uh, if you prefer that. And so... uh, It's the last book. If you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, you went a little too far, just back up a little bit. Malachi chapter 3, that's where we're going to start. And then if you get there, would you just stand to your feet? We're going to read this, follow along as I read. I I always say this every week. I say this for new folks. Uh, We don't up, down, up, down the whole morning. Uh, we, we, uh, we, we read when we, we stand when we read our primary text. And so here's what I, I believe. I believe with all my heart that God wants to speak. I believe he has a word for you, just like I believe he's going to have a word for me this morning. And God speaks through his word. And so we stand in recognition that this is God speaking to us. This is Malachi uh, chapter 3, and I'm starting in verse 6, and it says this. God, speaking through the prophet, says this. I am the Lord, and I do not change And that's why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and you failed to obey them. Now return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We believe, God. We believe that you have a word for us. I'm going to ask you where you're at this morning, whether you're here in the room or you're on TV. I want you to just, we're just going to take a moment. And just ask God to speak to you. What would the Holy Spirit say to you this morning? Invite him to do that. So, Father, this morning we say speak. We have open ears, open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. God, I pray that you'd speak to each individual in the room, online, Wherever they're at and wherever they're at in life right now, God, would you speak? I believe you have a word for us, Holy Spirit. And we desperately need you to speak, Spirit. It has to be you. And so do that this morning. Do it, God, in a way that draws us to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So today's the last message in our series. We've been in a series called Thrive. We've been in a series called Thrive. We're going to finish it up today. But in essence, we started with this very basic premise. And the premise is that God... Did you see that? Did you like that? Did you notice that? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Did you see that? Exactly. So that's what I thought. So we started with this thought, that God wants you to thrive. And I said, look, let's just start with that thought for a minute. Is that a new thought for a lot of us? That the God of heaven, the God, God the holy God, God the creator, wants you to thrive, wants you to prosper, wants you to flourish. And sometimes I think we get in this mindset where it's like, oh, God's, God's just mean. He's just looking to zap folks, you know. No, the God of heaven actually wants you to flourish. We said this. We went all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. You get to about verse 27. And it talks about God made man and woman. He made them. And the very next verse, verse 28, Genesis chapter uh, 1, it says this. Then, as in like the very next thing, it says God blessed them. And what did he say to them? Be fruitful, multiply. That's what God wants for you, and that's what God wants for me. 
He wants us to, to flourish. He wants us to thrive. When it says God bless them, it's the Hebrew word barak, and it's translated into Septuagint. It's translated into Greek. And the word is eulogio. It's where we get our word eulogy. When you speak a eulogy at somebody's funeral, you, you speak kindly of them. You, you speak favorably about them. But this speaking of God, when God is doing the blessing, God is speaking favor on you. God is speaking blessing upon you. That was the first thing he did after he created man. God wants to bless you. God wants you to thrive. Jesus said, I came that they would have life and that they would have life abundantly. It's the Greek word parison, and it's a mathematical word. It has mathematical connotations, which always mean it's in excess of. It means superfluous. It means to flourish. It means exceedingly. Right. Jesus said, I came so that through me, you all would have this exceedingly life, this abundant life, this, this flourishing life. Right. That's what he wants for us. In fact, uh, I, I just happen to be doing this in my own devotion. It says, the Lord, is, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Right? He gives sun and he also protects. He's, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now, I'll say it again, and I've said this every week of this series, because I think in the culture that we live, in the day that we live, with the heresy that centered the church, I think it's really important that we acknowledge this. We do not, if you're new here, you need to know this about this church. We do not believe, we do not subscribe to prosperity theology. At its very core, what prosperity theology says is this, the greater your faith, the greater your wealth. Now there's more to it, but at its very core, the greater your faith, the greater your wealth. You're supposed to always be healthy, if you're not, there's a faith problem. You're supposed to have lots of money. If you don't, there's a faith problem. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but in particular, prosperity theology preys on the middle class and lower middle class because it says, oh, here's your chance to finally get rich. You just got to have enough faith. Let me, let, me, let me just put it to you this way. Try selling prosperity theology to first century Christians when every single one of the disciples lost their life specifically because of their faith. Try selling prosperity theology to Christians in China, in Iraq, in Afghanistan. It doesn't sell there. And the reason is, it's just flat out unbiblical. It's just flat out unbiblical. It turns God into some kind of cosmic butler or some kind of cosmic bellhop, which says, hey, God, hey, because my faith is this much, I'm supposed to have all this. And God's like, God's thinking, you get what I say you get when I say you get it, right? So we don't subscribe to prosperity theology. However, we do believe that our God is one who wants us to thrive and to flourish. Yes, absolutely. And we, so we started in week one and we said, well, is that happening? And if that's not happening, why isn't that happening? Why aren't we flourishing? Why aren't we thriving? And we went to Mark chapter 4, and we looked at the, at the parable that Jesus was telling of the sower and the seed. And it talked about a guy who's out sowing seed, which essentially means he's throwing seed. He's planting seed. And he talked about the four different types of soil that the seed would fall on. It fell on the hard soil. It fell on the shallow soil. It fell on the really, really good soil. We know that's where it's going to flourish. But it also fell on thorny soil. And this is what it said about the thorny soil, that you throw the seed out there, and once you do, the thorns start growing. 
It's not the seed. The thorns grow and the thorns choke out the seed so that the seed does not thrive. It does not prosper. It produces no grain at all. And so we looked at what were the three types of seeds or the thorns rather. And we said the thorns were, and this is what Jesus said in his text. He said the thorns are the care of this world, that that chokes us out because we got so caught up in this world. And we asked this question, are we as Christians, are we living for this world or are we living in his world? Big difference. And he said, when you live for this world, right, we get choked out. We don't thrive. We don't prosper. Not the way that God intended. He said, another one was the lure of wealth. It's the lure of wealth. It's, it's the desire for wealth. wealth. Wealth is not wrong. Money is not wrong. It's the lure. It's when we're consumed by it. It's when we want more and more and more. And, and, and it's, many translations say it's the deceitfulness of wealth. Because here's the skinny with wealth. Money promises what it can never deliver. Money cannot bring you contentment. It cannot bring you fulfillment. It cannot bring you meaning and purpose of life. So to have money, great, fine. But the lure of wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth. And then the third thorn we said was the desire of other things. It's the word lust. And it's not even a sexual lust. It's just got to have more. Got to have more. Got to have more. Got to have more. And we said this, hey, the guy who dies with the most stuff dies. Exactly right. That's it. Right? But those three things in particular, when we get caught up in these three things, they choke us out. We don't experience the life that God intended for us. We don't thrive. There's not meaning. There's not purpose in life. Even in hardship, even when life is really difficult, there's no joy. And that's what God intended. Even in the midst of that really hard stuff, even in the midst when you find out your child has a diagnosis, and you go, oh, God is real. There's still joy. There's still, there's still fulfillment. There's still meaning. There's still purpose. Right. And then last week, uh, we after we talked about the thorns last week, we oh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll show you where we ended. We ended that week with this, that we said, hey, at the end of the day, we said bodies below, but minds above bodies below. We live here. Our minds are up here. And then the next week we talked about the first. We talked about the principle of the first. And we learned that last week. What is the principle of the first? And we saw it through the scriptures and we saw how God has to be first in everything. God has to be first. Before everything, in everything, we said God has to be first. And we looked at a number of scenarios. We said God's got to be first of our time. And I think to myself sometimes, do I run around, run around, run around like a crazy man? And then at the end, I got a little time left, and I go, oh, God, you, you, you can have a little of that time. You can have a little of my time. Right? Sometimes it's the same with our talents. We have all these talents and skills and abilities and we use them and they bring us recognition and we can even make money using them. And then at the end, maybe there's a little left over. We go, oh, God, maybe you can have a little of that. We talked about our treasures, our money, our possessions. Spend, 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 spend. Save, 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 save. Got to retire someday. Got to have a lake place. Nothing wrong with having any of these things. And then at the very end, we say, hey, I got a little left. Maybe, maybe God, you can have some of this. Right? And then we said the same thing with our ties because everything's got to start with a T. And so ties, we say, our relationships. Do, do we give our relationships to God? Do we give our relationships to God? Do we say, God, that, that relationship belongs to you? God, you don't want me to have a relationship there? Okay, I'll submit that to you. So we talked about the principle of the first. And we said at the end of the day, we said, give God the first and he'll bless the rest. God wants to bless the rest. But we got to give him the first. 
And some of you have experienced that. Man, when you do, God wants to bless it. So this week, we're now we're in Malachi. We're going to see the number one thing, I believe, what is the number one thing that gets in the way from God, uh, from us thriving? And I'm just going to tell you up front, it's money. This money thing is a big deal. And I just said that, and everybody got real uncomfortable. This money deal is, is a big deal, right? Money is, we don't have a, a slightly different opinion or view or perspective on money than God does. We oftentimes have a diametrically opposed view to money that God has. And money is almost a litmus test of how we're doing and how we're doing spiritually because it's such a big deal. Remember, Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. He didn't say, hey, wherever your heart is, hey, your treasure will get there. No, no, he didn't say that. He said where your treasure is. That, that shows me. That tells me where your heart is, right? This, is, this, this money thing is a big deal, and so we're going to talk about it today. I actually think it's important that we talk about it because here's the thing. If we don't talk about money in church, if we don't teach about money in church, where do folks learn about it? And the second question I have is, how's that going? Do you know, uh, about two-thirds, I would say two to three times more than the Bible talks about prayer and faith, two to three times more, the Bible actually talks about money. Almost 20% of Jesus' stories and words were about money. So if you're new to the church, if this is your first Sunday, hey, money, welcome. And if you brought a guest or a visitor, turn over to them and say, man, I'm really sorry I brought you today. I really apologize. For that. I don't know what to say. But we're going to talk about money. I think it's really important. I think it's important for this reason, so that you thrive. I hope you hear this throughout the, the, I hope you hear this thread throughout the entire message. It's not what I want from you. As sincerely as I can say this, it's what I want for you. I want you to thrive. And I think money is one of the biggest deals that gets in our way from truly thriving because we end up living for this world. I hope you just hear that thread throughout it. It's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. I will also tell you this. If I was y'all's age, and basically we are the same age, some of us go to school together probably, but if I was y'all's age, this is what I would tell you. This is maybe the most important time, and I'd say to young adults too, this is maybe the most important time for you guys to understand this, and I'll tell you why. I, I always share, I, I think I say this almost every time. I don't know why, it's the grace of God, but I, I've told this story many times, but I've got my first allowance, I have an older brother and sister, we got our first allowance when I was in the first grade. It was a dollar a week, that's what we got, a dollar a week. And my father said, here's the deal, here's what you gotta do with your allowance. First 10 cents has gotta go in the Sunday school basket. My father didn't even really follow Jesus at that time. I don't know why he told us that, but along with my mother, they told us that. And he said, if you don't want to put it in the Sunday school basket, that's okay. You don't have to. You just don't get an allowance. It was real simple, right? Ever since that point in my life, because I started it then, that's what I've always done, right? I had paper out when I was a little kid, 10, 10%. I got my first job when I was 13 years old, Gianni's Beef and Pasta, Des Moines, Iowa, Douglas Avenue, washing dishes at 10 o'clock at night. 10% went to my church. I was loading trucks, UPS, when I was in college, 10 at night, 2 in the morning, 10%. Now here's what happens. You get so used to it, it just develops a pattern for your life. What happens to the rest of us, what happens as adults sometimes, is we get into these situations where, you all know this, I would tell you this, if you made $1,000 more a week, you'd figure something out to do with it. 
Do you know what I'm saying? You, 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 you adapt into that lifestyle. And after a while, we get there, and now we, we can't go back. Like, it's hard for us to get back there. So I'm saying that in particular, if I was younger, th- this is an opportune time for us to talk about money. So we're going to look at our passage, see what God has to say about it, and see one of the biggest things that I believe is preventing us from thri- thriving. Look at your text. This is Malachi chapter 3, and it says this. I'm the Lord, and I do not change. Now listen to what God is saying. I'm God. I don't change. Now I'm going to tell you why God can't change, because God is perfect. And if God could change, it, can mean, it means he could get better, and he could get worse. God doesn't get better, God doesn't get, and God doesn't get worse. He's perfect. And so for that reason, God says, I don't change. And not only does God say he, he doesn't change, but he's speaking through the prophet Malachi here to the Israelites. And he says, the fact that I don't change is the reason why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. The fact that I don't change is why I haven't obliterated you. The fact that I don't change, I've had a covenant with your, your ancestor Abram. Then became Abraham. I, had a, I kept the covenant with Isaac. I kept the covenant with Jacob and all their descendants. And my word is my word. And I don't go back on my word. And I don't change. And that's the only reason that you folks have not been destroyed. He goes on. He says, ever since the days of your ancestors, you folks have scorned my decrees and you failed to obey them. That word decrees is oftentimes translated as my ordinances. An ordinance is the ordinary pattern of behavior. It's an ordinance. It's like a, it means like a fence or a boundary. It's a prescribed behavior. And God is saying, you guys have not acted in the ordinary pattern of behavior for my children. You have not acted in the prescribed manner of behavior. In the manner that I have prescribed, you have not been doing that. And God says this, and now return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord. You have not been acting right. You have not been acting appropriately. You have not behaved properly. If you guys return to me, I'll return to you. And the next verse, the Israelites say, well, God, how could we return? We never left. What do you mean, God? Why are you so upset? God says this. Should people cheat God? Let's just see a show of hands this morning. Raise your hand if you think folks should cheat God. Go ahead. That's good. Raise your hand. It's a safe place. Okay. (laughs) Nobody thinks we should be cheating God. Right? Okay. God says this. And yet... You folks are cheating me. That word is oftentimes translated, you've robbed from me. Do we think it's good to rob from God, steal from God? No. And God says, you folks, and he's talking to the Israelites back then, you folks are robbing from me. You are stealing what's mine. You can't steal something that doesn't belong to him. It belongs to him. So if you take it, you're stealing from God. He says, you, you've cheated me. You've cheated me of the tithes. And the offerings that are due to me, that's how you're cheating me. God's saying this to them. And then he says this, as a result, you're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Now, folks sometimes will say, well, curse. We don't have curses anymore. Jesus died so that the curse of sin would be removed from us. You're right. The curse of sin regarding our salvation that, that has been removed. But a curse is a consequence, right? You, you, you act improperly, and there are consequences. You can't cheat God. You can't rob God and think that there won't be a consequence. He's saying this, your whole nation has been cheating me. You're now under a curse. Then he says this in verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough in my temple. The tithes are brought to the storehouse. And I'll just make this editorial comment, right? You can give money to the American Red Cross. 
You can give money all the, that's not tithe. God says you bring the tithe into the storehouse. That's what you do. And then he goes on and he says this, and if you do, I just want you to imagine in your head, what? What if we do? What if the Israelites would have? What would happen then? What if they do? I love this. God says, if you do, if you bring the tithe to the storehouse, he's saying this to the Israelites because he's talking through the prophet Malachi. He's saying this to us today. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it in. I'm going to bless you so big, you just, you just flat out can't take it anymore. When I was a kid, I had this great Aunt Mabel. And some of you have probably read about her because she makes the world's greatest coleslaw. Do you know who I'm talking about now? My Aunt Mabel makes the world's greatest. I mean, it is unbelievable. It's this creamy. I know she puts sugar in it. Something, you know, it's like this creamy coleslaw. And my brother and I, when we were little, we would joke about it. We say, oh, man, because we have birthdays that are right next to each other almost. We say, oh, man, this year, all I want for my birthday. And we would say this. I just want a gallon of Aunt Mabel's coleslaw. That's all we want. <laughs> I thought, we just love this coleslaw. And we'd go to my grandparents' house, and then like aunts and uncles, everybody come over, right? And, they'd be, and my, aunt, my Aunt Mabel would always bring coleslaw. And so now it's like a holiday, and we're all there for a holiday. And so on the holiday, you're eating turkey, and you eat chicken, you, you know, you, you're eating the mashed potatoes, and you eat the stuffing, and you eat all the coleslaw. And now you're sitting around after the meal, and you're just bloated. You know, you know like Thanksgiving bloated, that kind of bloated? And they would say, hey, do you, do you want anything else to eat? Yo, you, you, you boys, do you want some coleslaw? I'm like, no, man, we can't, even, we can't even think about coleslaw. We're so full. What if God wanted to bless you? And you said, God, I can't take any more coleslaw. I just can't take any more, God. You've been so good to me. That's exactly what he's saying. I don't, I don't know if we take that in. That's exactly what God is saying here. If you bring that in the storehouse, I will bless you. I'll pour this out. I'll just pour down coleslaw all over you folks. And it's going to be so great, you're not even going to be able to take it in. That's what God wants to do. God wants to bless us beyond measure. And so if that's the case, and if it, what I believe, it's the number one reason that we're not thriving, flourishing, even in the midst of hardship, if there's not a joy, this is one of the biggest blocks. And so I want to look at it this morning. I want to ask this question first of all. What is a tithe? What is a tithe? And I think we should understand what a tithe is. Tithe is the, he, tithe, uh, is the Hebrew word masair, and it literally means a tenth part. It means one-tenth. It literally means 10%. Uh, this is just me, and I'm a huckleberry, but this is how I, I understand. This is why I believe God said that. Because if God said, everybody, $5,000 a week, yeah, membership would go down in a hurry. You know what I'm saying? So, so God just leveled the playing field. And he said, it's a percentage, right? That's why when Jesus was at the temple and they saw the, the widow who was giving two mites, and he said, two mites. She just gave more than anybody else because two mites was a lot to her. See, $1,000 for some could, could, could be generous. There are folks around here, you don't know this, there are th folks around here that go, 1000 bucks. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I got you. Like it would mean nothing. It would almost mean nothing. God just said, it's just a flat percentage, and he, and he levels the playing field. It's a simple percentage. A tithe is literally 10%. And so if that's the case, then we got to ask this question. Well, then why would I tithe? Tell me that. Explain to me why 
I would tithe. Explain that one to me. So I'm going to give you two things that I want you to think about this morning. Number one, tithing is just flat out biblical. It's biblical. Followers of Jesus, this is applying to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this ain't on you, although I believe that God still blesses it. But it's biblical. God has commanded. Now, now I want to give you a couple of scriptural references. This is from Deuteronomy, Old Testament, Deuteronomy. It says, when you enter the land, now he's talking to, he's talking to, to Moses. And remember, they were slaves for 400 years, and then they wandered in the desert for 40 years, and now they're about to enter into the promised land. And God is saying, when you do, when you enter the land the Lord your God has given you as a special possession, and you've conquered it and settled there, here's what I want you to do. Put some of the first produce, and translators translate this as a tithe. It's 10%. Some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship as a tithe, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. He's saying, you're going to tithe, right? Now, let me give you one from Leviticus. Leviticus says this, a tenth, that's a tithe, of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord, and it has to be set apart. A tenth, a tithe, it has to be set apart to the Lord. Now, here's the challenge for a lot of Christians, and for most Christians that really struggle with a tithe, they say, oh, Neil, that's under the law. That's Old Testament. That's under the law. Now, if you're newer to the church, when we say the law, we don't mean, hey, drive over 55 or whatever it is now, 70, and you go to jail. It's not, it's not that kind of law. It's the Jewish law that God handed down to the Israelites when Moses went to Mount Sinai before they entered the Promised Land after they came out of exile, where they'd been in Egypt, slavery. God gave them the law. Don't commit murder. Don't steal. He gave them the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are just part of the law. But God gave them far more than that. And a lot of Christians will say, well, Neil, tithing is under the law. We don't live under the law anymore. And again, if you're newer to church, you're new to Christianity, we say that after the death of Christ, we now live under grace. That when Jesus came, now we live in the age of grace and we don't live under the law anymore. So therefore, why would I tithe? Because tithing is under the law. So let me just speak to that for just a minute, because I think some folks really wrestle with that. Isn't this a thing of the law? I'm telling you, this was around before the law was even, ever even given. Before we had the law, the Jewish law, there was already tithing. So some of you know this, that the first, the first individual that God personally called was Abram. His name wasn't Abraham yet. God is going to change it, but his name is Abram. And Abram lived down in what would be Iraq. He lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. And with his father and with his nephew Lot, they went up to Haran. Think of Haran like Syria. And then Terah, the father of Abram, died. And now God calls Abram down into the land. And he makes him a promise. He says, this land... This land will be yours. This land, I'll give it to you and to your descendants. All this land. In fact, I'm going to bless you. You'll have more descendants than there are stars in heaven. You, you won't even be able to count your descendants. It's, it's, it's the Israelites. It's the Jews. And so Abram is there and Lot is there and they're living and they both have herds and they're prospering and their herds are growing and their herds are growing. And uh, pretty soon there's, there's, there's too many animals there and they can't all share the land. And the herdsmen are starting to fight and Abram says uh, to Lot, his nephew, he says, hey, I don't want there to be bad blood in the family. I'll tell you what. You just look out over the land. You look out over the land, 
and you see where would be the very best place for you to go, you go to that place, and wherever you go, I'll head in the opposite direction. So Lot, we know, heads towards Sodom. He's going to live in Sodom. It's a very wicked city. Lot heads that way. Abram heads his way. Pretty soon the war breaks out in the area, and there are these five kings. They form a federation, and there are these four kings, and they form a federation. The, the federation of the four kings, they overtake the federation of the five kings. And then, in doing so, they take Lot. And they overtake Lot, and they take all his possessions. Well, the messenger comes to Abraham's house. He says, hey, your, neighbor, your nephew Lot was taken, he and all his possessions. Abraham, the Bible tells us, gets 318 highly trained men. Like, these are men who are ready to do combat. And they go, and they rescue Lot and all his stuff. Okay, now they're on their way back home. And as they're on their way back home, Abraham meets a very interesting man. And his name is Melchizedek. Now watch this. Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High brought Abram some bread and wine. Now, just so you know this, we don't know a whole lot about Melchizedek. We really don't. It's very interesting, though, in that he is clearly a type of Christ. I don't believe that he was a, a pre-incarnate Christ, but I do believe he's clearly a type of Christ, and I'll tell you why. Because he's both a king, King Jesus, and he's a priest. He's our high priest. We don't read that about anybody else in the Scripture. He's both a king and a priest. His name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. And I would also tell you this, he's the king of Salem. Salem means peace. He's the king of righteousness, and he's the king of peace. Salem would go on to be Jerusalem, New Salem, Jerusalem, the city of peace. Melchizedek is the king. He's very much a type of Christ. And he brings him some bread and wine. And then it says, Melchizedek blessed Abraham with this blessing. Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Now watch what Abraham does and watch his response. Remember, we ain't under the law yet. There is no law yet. There's no Jewish law. And it says, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. What was that? That was a tithe. Tithing isn't just under the law. Tithing was before the law. It's not okay for us to just go, well, we're not under the law anymore, therefore we don't tithe. It's not just a law thing. This is over 500 years before the law would even be given to Moses. It's over 500 years before that. Okay, Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob is living in the land now. It's time for Jacob to start looking for a wife. And his parents, his father... Uh, Isaac says, I don't want you to marry one of these Canaanite women. I don't want that for you. So he's going to send him up north to Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban lives up in Haran, which again is, is kind of Syria. He lives up there, and he's going to send him up there. And Jacob starts his trip. And now it's the first night, and he's going to just take a nap. It's time to sleep. And so he lays down, and he sleeps. And in his dream, God speaks to him, and he says, just like I was with your, father, your grandfather Abraham, and just like I was with your father Isaac, I'll be with you. I'll give you all the land. All the land that you see will be yours. And not only that, you'll have more descendants than you can ever even count. And he wakes up in the morning after having that dream. God clearly spoke to him, and he woke up, and he builds kind of a monument to God, this pillar. And he says this, and this memorial pillar that I have set up will become a place of worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. What was that? It's a tithe. It's not under the law. Tithing is not just under the law. It's not a law thing. We're not exempt from tithing because we're not under the law. Now, let me ask you one other question. If Jesus said to you, you should tithe, would you do it? 
See, that's up to you. I'm just asking you, if Jesus said to do it, would we do it? Okay, watch this. Watch what Jesus says. This is Matthew 23. Jesus is, you know how he's always into it with the Pharisees, the religious officials, the, 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 the hoity-toities, the, the religious world, you know. He says, woe to you teachers of the law. Woe to you Pharisees. And he calls them hypocrites. Why? Because hypocrites say one thing and they do a different thing. That's a hypocrite. We all know that, right? Oh, the church is full of hypocrites. I'm like, well, come be one of us. Come join us, you know. But, but he calls them the hypocrites. Now watch, he spells it out. Here's how he says it. He says, you give a tenth. What is that? It's a tithe. You tithe even on your spices. That's what the Pharisees do. That's, that's how serious they are about we got to keep everything, you know. He says, you give a tenth of your spices, the mint, the dill, the cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Oh, you guys look great. You look great. You tithe. Oh, you tithe even on your spices. That's awesome, right? But the really important things you, you forgot. Justice, mercy, faith. Look, the former thing you're doing great on. This later thing, not so good. Now watch the editorial. Watch what he says about that. You should have practiced the latter. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should absolutely do that without neglecting the tithe. This is Jesus saying, you should tithe. Don't get lost in it. You don't get, you don't get to heaven because you tithe. You need to be concerned about the more important things, justice, mercy, faithfulness. But you absolutely should be tithing. That's Jesus. Look, man, I, I, I get it. I, I get the whole thing. We're, we're not under the, the law. And, and I get that, right? We're not under the law. But let me ask you this, just out of curiosity. How do we feel about murder today? Are we okay with that? Are we sure we're not good with that? Because that's under the law, everybody. We live under grace. Are we good with murder now? How do we feel about adultery? Are we, are we kind of over that now? Are we good with it? Because that's under the law. We're not under the law. We're under grace. What about honor your mother and father? We still think that's important. What about stealing? Do we think stealing's okay now because it was the law? We're under grace. Remember that. No, 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 no. It, it's not about that. Some of the things are still uh, relevant today, even though they're the law. Just because they're under law doesn't mean that we just toss them. Right. They tithed under the law. We still tithe today. Like, that's still just a thing. We, we don't just discard it. Right? I understand this is a, a stretch for some, but I'm saying even though it was under the law, it's still for us today. And so we talked about this. Why tithing? Tithing is biblical, but here's the second thing I'm going to tell you. Tithing is a test. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I want you to see a weird spin on a test. I want you to see this. Remember our passage previously? He said, if you do, remember this, Malachi, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room for it. Remember that? A blessing so great you won't even have room for it? Okay, now this is not the next chapter. It's not the next book. It's not even the next verse. It's the end of that verse. Watch what he says here. I, I love this. Try it. This is God talking. Try it. Go ahead. You put me to the test. Go ahead. See, tithing is a test, and God welcomes it. God says, go ahead. Test me. See if I won't bless you. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. It's the only place in the scripture it says this. It's the only thing that the scripture says this about. It's about our tithing. God says, test me. 
go ahead, test me. And then two verses later, he says this to the Israelites. He says, all the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Can I just tell you this as somebody who pastors a church? Here's what I get a, just a little vision for. Man, what if we were getting this right? And what if God just blessed us? And what if the people in our neighborhood and what if the outside world and what if the doubters saw it and they would just go, what's, what's up with that? Hey, would you tell me, would you come and would you tell me, would you tell me why your God is, is so good, why he's been so good? And we would say things like, man, we've decided we're putting God first. And that means even of our money. That means even of our money, it's, it's of everything. We put God first in everything and we'd watch God just bless. We watch our lives thrive. We watch our lives flourish because we're being obedient to God, right? So here's our big so what for today. See, the tithe is a test that releases God's best. That's what the tithe is, the tithe is a test. Oh, wait a minute. God is the one who said, test me. Now, it's a two-way test. God is saying, I'm, I'm, I've put this in your hands. I'm trying to see if you'll be faithful with it. It's a test for you. But God was the one who said, test me. And so what do, what do we do about this? Like, how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we live this out? Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. And I've said this a couple times in this church. It's a test for us too. And so here's a test for you. If you say, hey, I'm currently not a tither. I don't tithe, Neil. First of all, let me just say this, and this is why I said this to you guys, because we get to a point in our lives where some, some of the adults will hear this and they'll go, I, I can't afford to tithe now because I've, I've, I've just packed everything in so tight and I've got my mortgage and I've got my car payment and I've got this payment and I, I've got student, like they just can't, right? But this is why I would start young. But here's what I would say to the rest of the people. Hey, 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 then, then don't. Don't start with 10%. What if you said, God, we're gonna start? And, and listen, you, you all know this, right? If you're married, you, you gotta talk about this at home. <laughs> like the, the two of you gotta, you gotta talk about this, right? But what if you said this? This year, we've never done anything before. This year, we're gonna do 3%. And we're gonna start with that. And the next year, it, it could be four or 5% and we're gonna work our way up there. What if you said this, it's gonna be 5% for us this year. We've never done anything, we can do five, we're gonna start with that, and the next year to be six or seven, and, and you'll get there. Some of you could easily do it, you've just never done it, you've never been obedient, maybe you didn't know the scriptures. And you say, I'm gonna do it. Here's what I'm telling you, do that for one year. Do it for one year, I, I promise you this. Do it for one year. At the end of the year, if you say to yourself, that, that dude is a snake. He's the slickest, oiliest snake. We got scammed. We got 100% scammed. I'm making you this promise right now. You call the church. You tell them, Neil scammed me. And no questions, and no questions. We're going to send you a check. You're getting every penny back. I'm not going to fight you over this. I already know this. I know the way that we have been stupid blessed at our house. And I don't mean financially. I mean, we have the most stupid blessings you can even imagine. And I believe a large part of it is because we've just been obedient to this principle. And so here's what you do. You do it for a year. You get scammed. 
You call, you'll get every penny back. You don't have to worry about it. I'm telling you, God will bless you beyond what you can even imagine. Start with, start with 10% if you can. If you can't, start with three. Start with five. Let God bless you. you some of you, are, you're not allowing God to bless you because you don't follow God's ways. God's desire is for you to thrive. He wants to bless your butt off. And I'll say that in church. Like that's what God wants. It's so crazy for us. We fight. Oh, God just wants to zap folks. No, he doesn't. God loves his kids and he wants to bless them. But then we have to do things God's way. You start, you start, you watch, and we'll just watch the story unfold. We'll watch the story unfold. We'll watch to see how God blesses you. God wants you to thrive mentally. God wants you to thrive emotionally. God wants your relationships to thrive. Yes, even in the midst of some really sucky episodes of life. And there are, this room is full of those testimonies. This room is full of those testimonies. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for your revelation. I've prayed, God, and I've asked that you would reveal yourself this morning. Even though we happen to talk about the tithe and money, God, I'm believing that you revealed yourself to folks this morning in a new way, in a different way, in a fresh way. God, I always pray for the first timers and I'm praying, God, that you revealed yourself to them and you're something that they didn't expect. And I'm praying and I always pray, God, for the long timers. And I'm praying that there are folks here and maybe their hearts have gotten calloused and hard and cold. And God, you revealed yourself to them in a new way. And Father, this morning, I always pray for the last timers. And I know there are people here, God, who just said, this is it. I'm gonna make a spouse happy. I'm gonna make a parent happy. I'm gonna make a friend happy and they'll quit bugging me and I'm never going back to church again, I'm done. And I've prayed God and I'm asking God in the name of Jesus that you capture their hearts this morning, that you reveal them this, to them this morning who you are and your great love for them. Regardless of what we were talking about, God, they encountered you. So that's what I'm praying for this morning.